You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides weekly updates on Florida's coronavirus response with a particular focus on North Central Florida. Each week, From the Front Lines will feature community leaders and frontline workers working to reopen their communities safely during these challenging times. Hello, I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and this is From the Front Lines. While not the most important thing during a pandemic, sports serve many functions in Florida. They provide recreation, distraction, they employ thousands, and even impact local economies. This month seems pivotal for sports of all engagement levels, as many professional sports figure out a way to restart their seasons in Florida, and college and youth sports figure out if they'll have seasons at all. Part of the reason any sport is returning is based on a decision the governor made back in April declaring televised sporting events essential. People are chomping at the bit. I mean, if you think about it, we've never had a period like this uh, in modern American history where you've had such little new content, particularly in the sporting realm. Since that decision, mixed martial arts competitions, NASCAR races, and just this week, Major League Soccer have all brought their sports back to Florida. In this episode, we will take a look at the attempts to restart professional sports in Florida. We'll also look at how the pandemic is already impacting other levels of sports, from cancellations to funding cuts. And we'll see what the pandemic has done for youth sports and extracurricular activities. Professional team sports are finally back in the United States, and more specifically, right here in Florida. Cameron Lund has more on Major League Soccer's MLS's back tournament in Orlando, which started this week, and other challenges pro sports leagues are facing as they attempt to restart during a pandemic. Amid the numerous number of cases and spikes, the United States had to wait for weeks and even months compared to other countries who had already started to play in-person games again in 2020. The MLS's back tournament is the first professional tournament to be played in Florida since the coronavirus shut down all professional sports in the country and the world in late March. Governor Ron DeSantis was quick to talk about his want for professional sports to start back up during the early conversations of reopening in May. All professional sports uh, are welcome here for practicing and for playing. Now, we're not going to necessarily have fans. But there's been reports that Major League Soccer may want to have their season in Orlando. Do it. We want to have you here. Uh, we want to have the basketball practicing again. We would love to have the Major League Baseball. And I think the message is that our people are starved to have some of this back in their lives. The MLS tournament, which began play on July 8th at Disney World's Wide World of Sports Complex in Orlando, and the National Women's Soccer League's Challenge Cup Tournament, which is taking place in Utah, are both being looked at as a test for other leagues as they begin to restart play. And both tournaments have already had their struggles and have seen teams drop out or not even participate. For the NWSL, the Orlando Pride decided not to go after six players and four team staff members tested positive for COVID-19. The cases were said to have stemmed from a bar trip after the state opened back up the drinking establishments in June. As for the MLS tournament, FC Dallas was quarantined right as they arrived in Orlando. Ten players and one staff member tested positive for the virus. They have since opted out of the tournament. Nashville SC also backed out of the tournament on July 9th after nine total players have tested positive since they arrived in Orlando. MLS has been reporting cases every other day on the league's website. 
MLS Commissioner Don Garber discussed the process of what happens when a player tests positive. Well, if a player tests positive, they'd be removed from the tournament. They go into quarantine, and then uh, with contact tracing, we would uh, test everybody that's been around that particular player, and they get tested very, very regularly. And if any of them test positive, they get uh, removed to, uh, from the tournament as well. This process could be a similar approach to that of the NBA, which has already started sending teams to Orlando for their restart date of July 30th. The inaugural game, which took place on July 8th, was the first game between the league's two Florida clubs, Orlando City and Inter-Miami. Luis Nani, Orlando's captain, spoke about living in the bubble during the tournament. At the beginning, is a little bit strange because you came from different reality. You are at home, you feel more free. Uh, to do whatever you want because it's less people, it's just you and your family. But here, um, at the beginning, you are a little bit confused, but the time, when the time passed, the days, uh, you, you will feel more comfortable, you get used, and then it's simple. You learn how to protect yourself, what you can do, what you cannot do. All in all, he just wants to get back to his job as a soccer player. This is my job, and I work uh, playing soccer and um, I live for that all my life I've been doing this since I was a kid and I always put myself in the risk even when there was no coronavirus when uh, was not uh, um, thanks to afraid to make you afraid so and I respect all the players as well who have sacrificed to be here and try to uh, make this tournament happen Inter-Miami received a rousing ovation from a distance as they left their training facility in Fort Lauderdale to go to Orlando. The first game between Florida clubs ended with Orlando City beating Inter-Miami 2-1, with the winning goal and an assist coming from Orlando's captain, Nani. This match was the first of many between the two Florida teams, but hopefully the only played without supporters in the stands due to a global health crisis. Meanwhile, minor league baseball has had to cancel its 2020 season due to the coronavirus pandemic. It's a decision that impacts many areas in Florida, and Taylor Levesque spoke to players who say the decision is upsetting. According to a statement by minor league baseball president and CEO Pat O'Connor, this is the first time in history there has been a summer without minor league baseball. Former major league baseball player and Florida native Bobby Wilson was set to start his first season as manager of the AA Frisco Rough Riders. But then the cancellation struck. They told us to just hang tight until we get more information. As time kind of went on, you kind of knew that it was going to be canceled for obvious reasons. And says it's not the ideal situation he expected the league to be in this time of the year. It's important for minor league guys to grow each and every year, each and every day, each and every month. It's tough for those guys that, you know, they essentially lose a year, especially with the short lifespan of, uh, you know, a professional athlete. The development part's hard on the players. It's not a, a great situation, but we obviously have to be aware of our, our outside world as much as we want to go play the minor league season. Obviously, the safety is, was the most important thing from what I've learned in that decision. For pitcher Tyler Dyson, this would have been his first year playing for the Washington Nationals rookie league team, the GCL Nationals. 
it's tough because no one really knows how it affects anybody. You no, know, this would have been my first year, so it would have been uh, good to spend a whole year in front of the the team's eyes. But you know, it's everyone's kind of in the same boat. It, you can either get better during this time, or you can fall back and you can get behind guys in development. Dyson says he won't let the cancellation of the season stop him from improving his skills. I've been standing in shape, working out, throwing live bullpens to hitters, just to trying to get my baseball work in. Another player planning to keep himself busy is pitcher Michael Byrne. The former University of Florida baseball player was drafted by the Cincinnati Reds after his junior year and pitches for the single-A Daytona Tortugas. With the cancellation of the season, he plans to continue working out on his own and has also decided to finish a milestone he put on hold in 2018. During this time, I've actually gone back or re-enrolled back in the U.S. <laughs> so I just finished my last year of school. Byrne remains hopeful that the team will be back on the field soon. I'm going to hope everything's good by next spring training because it would be nice to just be able to go in there with all these months I've had off to get better and stuff and be able to earn a spot on the double-A team or triple-A team, whatever happens. Although the fields are empty, Wilson says coaches are doing their best to continue providing players with information to help them mentally and physically. Five days a week we're doing Zoom calls. You can imagine how hard it is to be prepared to play at the most elite level in the big leagues without getting live reps and whatever they would be, double A AA or triple A. So it's definitely going to be a challenge to keep guys ready. Also in the statement from Pat O'Connor, he says this time allows teams to begin planning the 2021 season. While the pros and semi-pros come to grips with their stunted or lost seasons, Gabriella Paul gives us a look inside how Florida athletes at the amateur levels of high school and college plan to navigate a fall sports season amid the curveball coronavirus has thrown their way. This week, Florida sports fans have been on the edge of their seats waiting to see what will become of the fall season for college and high school sports in light of the pandemic. Some big news came this week. On Wednesday, July 8th, Ivy League Sports announced the cancellation of all competitive fall sports for their 2020 season. The NCAA announced on June 25th that all in-person recruiting for D1 sports will be extended through August 31st. That means coaches are not allowed to meet face-to-face -face with a recruit off campus or do any in-person scouting. So I asked Assistant Director of Player Personnel John Herdbond with the Florida Gators what to expect from scouting and recruiting in football this fall. Obviously, the NCAA enacted a dead period while this is going on, so we've been doing everything like virtual tours and everything. And if high school football isn't played, I, I do not know how that's going to work. Obviously, everyone we're recruiting, we have film on from their previous years, but uh, I'm not sure. It's unknown, unknown territory. Although Herdbond said one good thing has come from virtual recruiting, accessibility to campus tours for football prospects who live out of state. Still, as most things gone virtual during COVID, it has its own pitfalls. You can't beat walking around the University of Florida and you can't beat walking into the swamp, seeing the stadium. Obviously, there's some aspects of recruiting that can't be captured in a virtual visit or on a Zoom call. 25-year Buholtz Bobcat head football coach Mark Whittemore is also dad to two Division I receivers, one of whom plays for the Gators, Trent Whittemore, number 80. Whittemore said there are more variables at play than just the fall recruiting season. Aside from the about 1,000 to 2,000 Florida high school athletes he estimated to already have garnered offers last fall, there's a large group of boys who are banking on spring recruitment as well, which was halted in late March due to COVID. There were kids 
going into this last spring who really needed the spring. They needed, you know, that's one good thing about playing in Florida is you have a spring recruiting month. And you're out there, you're practicing, the the coaches are coming to the schools, they're, you know, talking to you face-to-face, they're getting a chance to see you run around on the field and practice. That's when a lot of offers and a lot of evaluation takes place. And that didn't happen this year. First-year head football coach at Eastside High, Alexander DeLeon, chimed in as well. It's in the back of every every high school senior's mind, you know, uh, especially when you're not a highly touted uh, recruit or you just may be a diamond in the rough or this may be the year that you were destined to, to break out and, you know, circumstances uh, didn't allow you to do so. Regardless of recruiting circumstances, sometimes collegiate athletes find a way. Okay, so for me, my recruitment process was a little different from the majority of most athletes here because I was a walk-on. That was the case for former UF gymnast Sierra Alexander, who was graduating in August after her senior spring season was cut short due to COVID. Alexander said that for gymnastics, alongside most other varsity and Olympic sports at UF, athletes are most nervous about the new normal rather than prospects for recruitment. I would wake up around six in the morning. Alexander brought me through what a day used to look like while in season. I would go straight to morning conditioning for another hour, probably two classes back to back. And then I'd go straight from class um, to the student athlete um, study center, which is Hawkins. Laura Barnes, a UF sports management master's student in the College of Health and Human Performance, has also tutored athletes at the Hawkins Center. She reflects on the psychology behind a student athlete like Alexander, who goes from a hectic schedule to almost none at all amid coronavirus. The routine piece is really big for, for their athletes, though. So having times blocked into their day where they knew they were going to be going in for tutoring for that particular class, and that's when they would get their homework done for that class, so that's when they would you know, study for the quiz for that class or whatever the case may be. Um, I think that one of the big things that student athletes need to keep in mind and that really all athletes need to keep in mind during this time is creating a new routine. Meanwhile, coaches of returning collegiate athletes, especially those of varsity and Olympic sports that attract smaller crowds and bring in less revenue than football, are less worried about maintaining a new normal than the existence of their team at all by the next fiscal year. On Wednesday, July 8th, Stanford cut 11 of its 36 varsity teams, citing an expected financial blow to athletic funds due to coronavirus uncertainty. UF's head women's tennis coach, Roland Thornquist, doesn't foresee that being an issue for the Gators, however. Florida, we've been really fortunate in that we have uh, relatively few sports and um, a steady stream of pretty healthy revenues which means that we've really been able to fund our uh, 19 sports relatively uh, advantageously if you look across the country. Of more concern to Coach Thornquist is the possibility that three of his tennis players could be affected by the new guidelines the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement released on Monday. So we would have a Canadian and two Swedes. The new guidelines could bar residents to international students who are learning entirely online. You know, we don't know if there's going to be exceptions uh, for um, athletes. Obviously, we hope because there are obviously international athletes in both football and basketball. So two of our biggest revenue sports would be impacted.
And as we just heard, high school sports like football are still up in the air for fall. But Anthony Montalto asks, if there's no football, what about the marching band? Imagine a marching band. What comes to mind? Maybe it's a college band loyally supporting its university and team in the stands. Maybe it's that marching band episode from the show SpongeBob SquarePants. Or maybe it's a marching band marching down the street in a parade. Regardless of what you picture, high school band directors think that picture may be changing, given the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. Well, it definitely is making us rethink the way that we do things. Definitely starting with the marching season, because that's what happens first. We've been looking at how can we still make sure that the students get to have the experience they want to have. That's Ian Schwent. He's the president of the Florida Bandmasters Association, which is essentially a governing body for school bands. But above all, Schwent is the band director at Titusville High School. He says having a fall marching band season is going to be difficult, but that it's good for students to have their outlet. How can we make sure that they still get to have the camaraderie, the esprit de corps, the leadership skills, the fun activity of working together, but still doing it and being socially responsible, keeping the distance so that the students feel safe, And not only that the students feel safe, but the parents can have confidence that when they send their students, those students will be kept safe as well. Schwint says safety practices are important heading into the late summer, which is when most band programs start what's called band camp. During camp, students learn to work together as a unit on top of learning basic marching drills and music. It's important to Schwint that his students and staff are still able to accomplish their goals in a safe manner. So he set up guidelines for his program. We're going to bring in students 50 at a time, starting on August 27th. They'll be broken up into five groups of 10 because we have five instructors that we can send with each one of those groups. So we're outside following the guidelines of our district. While it's one thing to remain socially distant learning the basics, Central Florida-based drill writer and competition judge Tim Gallagher says it's another thing when students are learning the show they're going to perform. But what is a drill writer? Gallagher explains. Every uh, musician out on the field has two responsibilities, playing their instrument and what their body is supposed to be doing and where it's supposed to be going on the field. So my job is putting all the formations together, deciding who goes where, when, and, and how that goes together with the music. Gallagher says all the schools he writes for have requested socially distant drill to comply with CDC and district guidelines. But there's a problem. None of his clients have been cleared by their school districts to have any sort of band camp. With all my clients this year, I haven't written any drill yet, which it is mid-July, and that is scary because I've never, I mean, I'm usually, by this point, I've probably already finished, you know, definitely finished some openers. And on top of the uncertainty surrounding band camp, the Florida Bandmasters Association Wednesday announced the cancellation of all its district marching music performance assessments for this fall. Schwentz says FBA is looking out for the safety of band members, staff, and potential audience members at the assessments. One theme that we kept coming up with is safety first. And of course, that seems like a no-brainer, but it really is important. We're looking at holding MPAs that would have multiple bands, five, six, up to 20 bands in one spot, plus all the friends, family. Schwentz says FBA is not advising against marching band for the fall, but that it's helping by giving directors one fewer thing to worry about. He says directors can focus on giving their students a positive experience rather than focusing on earning a good rating at assessment. And that frees them up to make some decisions that may need to be made right now that wouldn't necessarily be conducive to putting together a music performance assessment 
but it is conducive to helping those students where they live right now and what those students need. But the cancellation has some directors worried, like Gerard Madrinen at Seminole High School in Pinellas County. Madrinen says he fears marching band season and football season are hanging on by a thread. This virus is a real thing and it is raging right now in our country. However, we need to try and think of positive solutions. Now, that does not mean positive solutions to get what we want, what we're used to, so it looks the way we remember it looking. Just We need to find real solutions, the best that we can possibly do. Madrinen says he hasn't even been able to start rehearsals this summer. He's worried about safety, and bands in his area are in a holding pattern with the district. But while situations are different for programs statewide, one thing appears the same. Directors just want what's best for their students. While high schools work out the kinks on their return plans, some youth sports are already making a comeback. Taylor Levesque spoke to Gainesville Soccer Alliance Recreational Director Sandy Rivera, who says she's excited for the kids to take the field again, but wants everyone to know there will be changes to the upcoming soccer season. Let's flash back to March. How were you all affected? I had put together probably, I think, 52 recreational teams. Well, all of this went down. <laughs> And I said, I, I, you know, I've got to cancel the spring season. Uh, there's no, no way around it. We cannot do this. So basically that's what, what we did. You know, we notified all the parents because we had over 460 kids at that time. And every, everybody was very supportive of it uh, because they knew we did it because of the safety, the priority safety of the children and the parents, the community, ourselves as well. It's been challenging to say the very least for our fall season. Do we need to order masks? It's just things like that we have to really detail it out more than we ever have and then and I'm sure that is for every sport. You all haven't been playing in like tournaments, games, but you have been running camps, correct? We've had, yes, just soccer camps and and all, but no, we haven't been uh, having any, even in our travel, no travel uh, tournament games, uh, no recreational tournaments uh, or, or games at all. Starting in fall, we have games every single weekend. How do you expect the fall season to be different than the spring season would be? I think it will be almost... <laughs> Almost a night and day difference uh, with uh, massive precautions. I feel that on the sidelines, all parents must be wearing a mask, our coaches as well, and into smaller groups as parents and let the children, you know, of course, they're not going to wear a mask. They can't uh, They'll be running up and down the field. And with a lot of prayer, we will have our season. If you had a message for parents, the volunteer coaches, or the kids taking part in the league, what message would you give to them? To be as educated as possible about this virus. I want them to trust in us that we are there. Our priority is and always has been the children and uh, and the families and the community and how we present ourselves. Be prepared for limitations. We're all in this together, so each one of us has a responsibility. As long as they're prepared to do their part, and we are too, with that and a lot of prayer, we're going to have a great season. I'm looking forward to it.
what about those casual athletes missing their gym routines? Most gyms are open, but gyms in Miami, a hotspot for the virus, are now having to adapt as they stay open, but under new safety protocols. Melissa Fato spoke to Tangela Milton, executive director of communications for the YMCA of South Florida, which includes 10 locations across Dade, Broward, and Monroe counties, about getting their gyms back up and running after several months of closure. What are the many changes, I'm sure, that the Y has put into place to protect people while they're exercising? So we, of course, have put into place lots of safety protocols. Um, you know, in addition to the safety protocols, though, we have mod- we had to modify our hours, our programs and services. Um, of course, taking temperatures is something that um, all of our YMCAs, um, not just our family centers, but programs um, and program centers that we have, Um, We take the temperatures, um, you know, there's cleaning and sanitizing stations that we put throughout our buildings. Um, We're uh, asking staff and and our members to wipe down equipment after they use it. Um, Our staff, of course, are wearing masks and we're asking members to wear a mask when they're not working out. So Miami-Dade just, the mayor just said that if you're in a gym and you're working out, you have to wear a mask while you're working out. Well, it's not the same in Broward. So, you know, we're trying to make sure that our staff are informed and know what guidelines we need to follow. Has it been challenging or how has it been trying to follow all the guidance from the three different counties that you serve plus the state? From our standpoint, the biggest challenge is, you know, when you have different municipalities that have different guidelines, um, making sure the staff know what they need to do and making sure that they're doing it. So, um, but we've been doing pretty good, actually. Uh, I I believe our staff are doing the things they need to do. We haven't seen any complaints. Um, We haven't had any instances of COVID that I know of. Well, speaking of staff, um, you know, there's some staff positions in which it's difficult to be physically distanced from the patrons, right? Have things like personal training or group courses or or other kind of close contact uh, services like that been eliminated or changed? Well, they have been changed. Um, I won't say eliminated. Um, Of course, we don't have as many personal trainers right now because there really isn't that big of a demand um, that we're seeing. Um, But um, our trainers and our instructors, meaning our Group X instructors, um, they are doing some virtual training. Um, We actually were doing some virtual classes. We have now limited a very small and very limited number of group exercise classes. One, because, you know, of the social distancing, we have to make sure that uh, there is space between the people participating in in our group X classes. So some of the classes are, depending on the studio size, are as small as uh, 10 people, and then some are as large as probably 20. Um, Some of our classes have had, you know, 40, 50 people in them previously. So um, we've really had to reduce that. And some people are ready to get back out there. Some people are ready 
to, you know, be able to exercise. And how has the demand been? Well, as you might imagine, we, um, when we closed, we had a lot of members who either put their membership on hold or some people that canceled their membership. Um, I will share a story. There was um, a father and son who came back to one of our locations um, when we opened um, because they liked to shoot hoops together. And that was one of the things that they did. And it was really quite heartwarming, I think, when um, he said that he was really glad that we were back open because he and his son, that was one of their things to do, to bond, to spend time together, and they hadn't been able to do that. So, you know, they were really happy that we were open. And of course, we have certain guidelines too for social distancing there. I mean, there can't be any basketball games going on where there's physical contact. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers, Taylor Levesque, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, Gabriella Paul, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contributions to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with From the Front Lines, please contact WUFT on Facebook or Twitter or send an email to news at WUFT.org. That's news at WUFT.org. Join us next Friday for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of course, thanks for listening.